Fifteen years ago, I planted a church. It's one of the reasons that um, I share such a heart with Pastor Bill Elder, who planted Mountaintop 28 years ago. At, inside, we're both still church planters at heart. And it was one of the greatest joys of, of my ministry. But church plants are, are fragile uh, of fragile entities. They're kind of emotionally fragile. It's, it's hard to get leaders. Uh, most of your staff are part-time at the beginning. Uh, I'll never forget, about seven years into that church plant, uh, I was with our leaders. We were having a leadership meeting, and we were discussing uh, kind of where we were at staffing. Um, all our staff was part-time. We had a pretty good team. And we felt like there was one staff member that needed some coaching, needed some, some leadership um, that uh, could step up their game a little bit. Um, so we talked about ways to do that. A lot of that fell on me to try to coach them, lead them, help them improve, maybe lay out some, uh, some crystal clear objectives. And uh, we you know, adjourned the meeting. About two months later, that staff member came to me after church one Sunday and said, um, Hey, uh, question, um, am I getting fired? And I said, why would you ask that? Why, not, no, no, why would you ask that? And they said, well, my kid's teacher is really good friends with someone on the leadership team, and they told my kid's teacher that if I don't shape up, I'm getting fired. It was a gut punch to that staff member, to our culture, to our team. And that led to a very difficult conversation that I had to have with that leader and say, first of all, why would you say such a thing? And no matter what, what we talk about in that room has got to be confidential because we are cheering for those staff members and we've got to figure out a way to help everyone on the team succeed. And why would you hurt the team like that? That's called gossip. And it, it took us a while to work through that. About two months later, that same leader went to visit another church of a friend who was getting baptized, which is a great thing to do, and they never came back. And when I called them a few weeks later and said, hey, are you doing okay, and what's going on? They said, well, my kid... Um, liked the children's ministry at this other church, so we just decided to start going there. And that leader was not only on our leadership team, that leader was a volunteer in our kids' ministry. That's not being for each other. That's being for me. You see, if we were for each other, that leader would have come back and said, hey, I visited another church, and their kids' ministry, frankly, was a whole lot better than ours. But I got four or five ideas that I think we could do to improve, and I'm here to help. That's being for each other. But this spirit, this attitude, this idea of being for me has led to the most difficult conversations that I've had to have in 21 years of ministry. This spirit of being for me has led to the most hurt I've seen in church, the most heartache I've seen in the church because it is so easy to get inward and insular and me focused. 
So today, I want to speak to the Christians in the room and to the Christians watching online. And you might even be watching, and you're not even a part of our church, but you might be a follower of Jesus who is a friend of a friend here. And we're so glad you're watching, and this is for you. If, if you are not a follower of Jesus, I suspect that this is one of the problems that you have seen in the church and that you have had with Christians. And so I hope you'll see deep inside of what we want our heart to be. This is a discipleship issue. And this is an issue for every one of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to take a step of growth. And I want to tell you, it is a hard growth in our faith. But this breakdown, when we're not for each other, things get sideways in the big C church and in the local church. Like, when? I do what's best for me instead of what's best for us. Sometimes it's easier to look out for number one than to be one with others. And so when I choose to do what's best for me instead of what's best for the team, things always go wrong. Things always get sideways. Or when I talk about someone instead of to someone. You ever seen that problem? The Bible has a word for that. It's called gossip. It's called slander. I, do, I, I love this definition of gossip. Gossip is when you share a negative with someone who can't do anything about it. It's when you share a negative with someone who can't do anything about it. And whenever someone gossips to you, there's the question that we should always ask ourselves. What is it about me that makes them think it's okay to gossip to me? Maybe they think I like to hear it. Maybe I've shown behavior. Because the truth is, if they will gossip to you, chances are, they will gossip about you, too. What about when I assume the worst instead of believing the best? What about when, when I make rash and quick judgments before I get all the facts? Or what about when I fight with you instead of for you? This is easy to do in our overcharged political climate. We will fight for our political agenda with other Christians, particularly online, instead of fighting for our brothers and sisters in Christ and putting our relationship with other Christians on the front, the forefront of our lives. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you always agree with everybody. And that doesn't mean that, that, that there aren't sometimes people that are right or wrong. Sometimes fighting for someone is doing what one of my mentors used to always say is that sometimes that meant you had to sit somebody down and say, listen, I love you too much not to tell you this. That's what it means to fight for somebody. It's hard work. Or what about this? When I criticize instead of empathize. It's just so much easier to criticize, right? Instead of stepping back and asking a question, what if I had their circumstances? What if I had um, their experience? That's called empathizing. This is so important now, and it's harder and harder in the world we live in, which is more individualistic than ever before, more divided and divisive than ever before. And yet this is a defining characteristic of the body of Christ and it's such an important value for us as a local church, but it is an important value for the greater church. 
So even if you are listening or watching and you're out, you're out of town, but you were visiting family, but you came today, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, this isn't just a value from mountaintop. This is a value that every single Christian should have, that we are for each other. We seek unity in Christ. Now here's, what, here's how we say that at Mountaintop, that we aim to make a large kingdom impact, but we strive for unity with Christians locally and globally in our city and world. We want to help Jesus' prayer come true that all believers would be one. We will fight for each other, love each other, and forgive each other because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Don't you long for that? Isn't that the kind of community you want to be a part of? Where people are fighting for you, where people are committed to you, where people are on your side, where people are going to try to work with you and for you? Don't you long for something? I mean, don't you just log on to any social media and say, there's got to be something better than this? Then all the arguing, then all the posturing, then all the fighting. Don't you want to be a part of something that, that brings people together instead of divides and segments people? That's what it means to have unity in Christ. It turns out we're not the first Christians to struggle with this. Uh, in Paul's the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, or to the church in the community called Ephesus, Paul zeroes in and kind of hammers down this oneness, what it means to have unity in Christ and the hard work that it takes to, to actually make it happen. But now you need to know a little bit about Ephesus and the people there for it even to kind of make sense. Ephesus was one of the, I mean, it was a unique and one of just the craziest churches that Paul started. Their founding was chaotic. Ephesus was known in the Greek world for one thing. They were the guardian of the pagan temple of the goddess, pagan goddess Artemis. I mean, their, their whole culture, their whole society centered around this temple. When Paul preaches the good news in Ephesus, people began to believe and put their faith and put their trust in Jesus. And they are, their lives are so changed that their behavior, their changed behavior begins to impact the local economy, which centers around this pagan temple. Basically, all the people that made little idols for the temple, they stopped making the idols. All the people that bought the little idols from the rest of the people that were making the idols, they stopped buying them. Like it is, the locals are so incensed that a riot breaks out. The riot is crazy and the, the municipal political officials have to get involved and Paul barely gets out alive. In fact, the, some of the new disciples there get to come and tell him, they're like, hey, Paul, you got to get out of the middle of this. God's got other work for you to do. And they finally ship him off to get him out of town because it is so chaotic. Finally, the riot quiets down, and this church is left, this new church, to try to figure out how to do life in this community. Now, the other thing you need to know about Ephesus is that it's almost all Gentiles, it's almost all non-Jews. And the Christian faith at its founding was an almost entirely Jewish 
enterprise. It, it, it was a mostly Jewish movement. All the disciples were, were Jewish. And so when Paul writes to the Ephesians, he's, he's also writing in a way that, that, that he believes that this unity that we find in Christ cuts through these ethnic divisions. But everywhere else in culture, the division between Jew and Gentile, that division was rarely crossed, and it was crystal clear. But Paul says this will not be the way it is in the church. Now, the reason I give you that background is because I want you to understand the context of Ephesus, because you may not understand a world uh, like theirs. I mean, after all, you may not understand a world where there are racial and ethnic divisions, economic upheaval, political controversies, and riots. Who could imagine? Or perhaps God's vision for unity stretches across the centuries and speaks to the ways of all the things that plague the human condition for all time. So we're going to be in Ephesians 4, verses 2 through 6, but I'm going to do it backwards. It's kind of two sections. So we're going to read 4 through 6 first, and then I'm going to come back and run 2 through, two through 3, because 4 through 6 kind of offer this ideal up of what unity will eventually kind of look like. But 2 through 6 give the, the nitty-gritty hard work. So this is what it says. If you got your Bibles, hold them open there on Ephesians 4. If you want to take a Bible, if you're here, please take one. If you're, if you're watching online, I hope you got your Bible open there or your Bible app. This is what it says. And I want you to count how many times we read the word one, just kind of right there on your, on your hand, okay? You'll need two hands. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. How many ones did you count? Seven. Do you think oneness is important? There's just one. And there's kind of three sections here. Paul says at first there's, there's one what? Did you catch what he said? There is one body, one spirit, and one hope. That's the church. There's one body. We are one people. We are filled with one spirit, and that's what makes us one. We are not one because we look alike, because we look the same, because we act the same, because we think the same, because we vote the same, or because we cheer for the same team. We are one because we have the same one spirit living in us. There is something in us that is greater and bigger than all the stuff outside us that differentiates us. We're one. And we're all, and the reason, and here's what we're one in, we're called to one hope, eternal life in Christ. We all have the same testimony. That our names are registered in heaven that we sing about. That we are made righteous and justified through Christ alone. That's it. That's our one hope. One body. One spirit. One hope. And then it goes to, really, Jesus is the church, and then it goes to Jesus, the next part, the next part that one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We have one Lord Jesus Christ and we have one faith that is unified in him and one thing we share together is all of our same baptism. We were all baptized for the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is why when we baptize people, we do it in the context of the church family. 
This is something that we do with all Christians all over creation. We baptize together. And then the last part says, because there is one God who is over all, in all, through all. And this is really interesting because this is a Paul kind of giving the, the Gentiles an invitation into something that the Jews had always believed, into something that kind of set the stage for who, what God was trying to do through the church. This echoes something that the Jews would pray over and over again called the Shema. This was, one of, this was the most uh, important and, and, and most well-known Jewish prayer that would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Or some would say, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. This is one thing that set Israel apart from every other nation, that they believed that there was one true God, not God's. And what Paul is saying is this is an invitation. This is an invitation to Gentiles to be a part of something even bigger than themselves. That there was always this one God who was inviting them into relationship. The, our oneness is a picture of who God is. Now, is there anybody against that? We're all for that, right? That sounds great. One Lord, one hope, one faith. One, you know, one spirit, yeah. Team, let's go. How do you get to one? Well, verses two through three tell you how. And can I warn you? It ain't easy. Listen how Paul says it. Be completely humble and gentle. Paul, I mean, do you mean completely humble? Can I be halfway humble? Partially humble? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. What Paul's saying is if you want to have this oneness, if you want to have unity, here's what it's going to take, first of all. It's going to take you not putting you first. It's going to mean you putting others first to be completely humble. Now, does anybody know how to be humble? It's, it's really hard to define, right? Here's a great question to ask yourself in any situation. This is something I try to do, because I'm not sure I know, but here's the question I ask myself. What would a humble person do? So when you're in a situation, what if you just ask yourself that question? Hmm, I want to do this. I want to say that. I want to type that. Let me ask myself real quick, what would a humble person do? Delete, 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 delete. They probably wouldn't type that. What would a humble person do? Paul says, be gentle. Be gentle with one another. Be patient. You're going to have to exercise patience because, listen, there are going to be people that do stuff that gets on your nerves. Your family does stuff that gets on your nerves. Some of you experience that at Thanksgiving, right? Some of you are like, I'm sitting next to him, I can't laugh. Um, your church family will do stuff that gets on your nerves. 
Paul says you're gonna have to be complete, you're gonna be completely humble, you'll be gentle, you'll be patient, and you're gonna have to bear with one another in love. Because some people are hard to love. When you feel your blood pressure going up, when you feel the temperature rising, what if you said, wait a second, wait a second, I'm gonna be gentle, I'm gonna be patient, and I'm gonna bear with this person in love. And then you go, well, how far do I go, <laughs> right? I mean, how patient should I be? How much bearing should I do? And listen to what Paul says next. I love this. Make every effort. Make every effort. The Greek word here that Paul uses for, for, make, for every effort, for make every effort, in our language, it's, 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 it's three words. I want to tell you what it is in just a second. And it'll just blow you away what it says. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this word for make every effort in the Greek is a word that's pronounced spudazzo. That's fun to say. Just say it. One, two, three. Spudazzo. Try it again if you're at home there. One, two, three. Spudazzo. That's, fun. that's a fun word. Some of you parents are going to end up using this word this afternoon. Your kids are like, I'm tired of cleaning my room. And you're going to be like, spudazzo. Exert oneself. They're like, I can't find my other shoe. How about try? <laughs> Be diligent. Make haste. Like, you're going to have to put some effort. And Paul is saying, unity, oneness is going to take some spudazzo. It sounds that way, right? It's going to take some effort. This summer, we, um, and we went through some stuff as a country. Uh, there were so many issues around uh, civil liberties and equality and race. And we had some conversations and some messages about that this summer. And I heard a lot of chatter out there about, well, this person thinks this, and we should have said this, and we shouldn't have done this. But I want to tell you something that, that, that happened for me that was so special. There was one person say, I wanna, I'd like to come meet with you. There are some things that were said that I, I wasn't sure about or I didn't necessarily agree with or I want to be more clear. There was a few things that just didn't sit right and I want to I just understand and I want to I have some clarity on those things. And this, this, this individual, this church member, came with a list, a paper that they had written down the things that they wanted to ask, what they wanted to say. And we sat in conversation for an hour and just talked through different things that happened. And, and we asked questions to one another and we understood one another. And conversations like that aren't always easy to have. But at the end of that conversation, I looked this church member in the eye and I said, Thank you. Thank you for working toward unity. Because, man, it is so much easier to talk about someone than it is to take the spudazzo and talk to someone that you've got some questions. Here's what I really believe 
that uh, this is so important to our faith. Our faith is not just a one-time decision. Our faith proclaims something to the world and the way we live it out as followers of Jesus. This is what I believe. When we're for each other, we proclaim that Jesus is for all. When we are for each other, we proclaim that Jesus is for all. More and more, this is so important because we live in a more divided world than ever. There are political divisions, there are racial divisions, there are pandemic divisions, there are regional divisions. There are even divisions inside the church with this doctrine and this theology and this denomination. And we will look weirder and weirder in a good way to the world if we will be humble and gentle and patient and bear with one another in love in a world that is divided, mean-spirited, and always quick to judge. The church is supposed to be a picture to the world of what God will do one day in us. The picture of the world that God wants the church to paint is that there will one day be God reigning over this one earth as one Lord and one faith and one King of kings and one Lord of lords. And that one day every knee shall bow under the authority and unity we find in Christ. And when we are divided and when we are not one, we undermine our belief in the one true God and the unity promised in Christ. In other words, the world looks at the Christians and sees us fighting with one another and yipping at one another online and fighting at church business meetings and gossiping about one another. And the church world looks at us and goes, why would I want to be a part of that? It looks like my kid's t-ball team. I know what some of you are thinking. Is that important? Does the world even know what's going on with the Christians? Does the world even know what's going on in the churches? Jesus said it wasn't only that important. Jesus said it was the most important. In fact, the night before he was crucified, Jesus prayed for it. First, he prayed for his disciples. Those guys that he spent three years ministering to and with and shepherding. And then he prayed this in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone, not just those 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's me. You see, I believed in Jesus through Matthew's message. I believed in Jesus through John's message. <laughs> I believe in Jesus through Mark's message, who was a disciple of Peter who got Jesus' message. That's you. That all of them may be one. That the non-denominationals and the Baptists and the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Assemblies of God and the Roman Catholics and the Holiness and the Pentecostals and every single one of them may be one. Father, just as you in, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, listen to this, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that I gave, that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I want their relationship to be with each other just as my relationship is with you, Father. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to, what does it say? 
complete unity. And then this is a big word. Then the world will know that you sent me. But if they're not one, I'm not sure the world will know. And if they're divided, I'm not sure their message will make a dent. If they don't have unity, I'm not sure people will listen. When we're for each other, we proclaim that Jesus is for all. The way we treat each other <laughs> models for the world the way Christ treats everyone. Simply, unity preaches a sermon that our words never could. When people look at us, when we are unified, and they would say, how are you so humble with one another? And we would say, oh, it's so easy. We believe in a God who humbled himself so much that he took on flesh. In fact, that's what Christmas is all about, that he took on flesh and came down to earth and even humbled himself to the cross. How are you guys so gentle with one another? We say, well, God looks at us and our sin, and he is so gentle with us, even though he could judge us, but he is gentle with us. How are you so patient with us? And we say, oh, if you knew how God how patient God has been with me. How could we not be patient with one another? How do you bear with one another so much in love? We, oh, that's easy. Jesus bore my sin on the cross. The, 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 the least I could do is not get mad at that church member that gets on my nerves. That's nothing compared to what Jesus did for me. And people might just look at the church and go, oh, tell me more. I usually like to end on some kind of inspirational note, but I just want to give you five ideas to be for each other. That I just say, what if we decided we're going to practice these? Five ideas to be for each other. Number one, I will not gossip about others. I will not gossip about others. I will not share a negative about someone or to someone that they can't do anything about. That means I'm not going to post don't go through such and such drive-thru. It's the worst service. I'm going to go to the manager and say, I love your food. The drive-thru needs some work. How can I help? That'd be different. I will believe the best instead of assuming the worst. I will give other people the benefit of the doubt that I always give myself. I will trust that their intentions are good and pure instead of assuming that their intentions are bad. I will, seek, I will pursue reconciliation with fellow believers. I will, work, I will call somebody, I will text somebody, I will email somebody and say, hey, I got something going on in my heart and I don't want it to be this way. I want reconciliation with you. I'll, can we grab a cup of coffee? Can we sit down? Can we have a Zoom? Can we talk? I will not publicly criticize other churches, pastors, or Christians. Oh, that's easy to do. I'm just going to say I'm going to not do it. Because I'm on their team. Every church you pass by on the way here, we're cheering for them. I hope, I hope the Holy Spirit shows up there today, just like I hope the Holy Spirit is showing up here. 
we're on their side. They may do things different, but we're on the same team. They just wear a little different color uniform, but we're all playing the same game. Instead, I'll make this decision. I will pray for other churches, pastors, and Christians. When I hear another pastor on TV say something, and I'm like, and I give them the sideways head, I'm like, I don't know about that. That ever happened to you? I don't know about that. Instead of criticizing them, I'm just going to say, I'm going to pray for that pastor. When I hear of a church doing something, and I'm like, eh, I'm going to pray for that church. When there's a Christian friend of mine doing something, I'm like, hmm, I'm going to pray for that friend. So are you willing to do that? Unity is hard work. It takes spudazzo. We're going to have to exert ourselves. We're going to have to make every effort. But I want you to know something. I'm in. And this value won't make a lick of difference if it's just on a page on our website or plastered over our wall. It will only make a dent if you and I commit our lives every single day to doing the hard work of being for each other. And I want the world to hear our message about Christ. And it just might depend on our unity in Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus that reminded us that we're all one. <laughs> we're all sinners. We're not God. Our unity is found, God, and our brokenness before you and our redemption because of you. Lord, help us to take on the example of Christ, to be humble and gentle and bear with one another in love so that the world might see you and how we treat each other. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to share a song with you that is 